0: Welcome to another inspirational message from London Live Church. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. Can I just say I have enjoyed the worship so much. All of the worship leaders together in one. Ah, oh. listen, you guys got to do this again. Belle, I think this was your ba- brainchild. God used you today. I have, I have had such an amazing worship. It's been so nice. Thank you for letting God use you like that. Ah. Oh. Because when I watch online, and I just want to say hi to everybody online, I hope you're enjoying the worship as much as I am. Um, I'm normally the one at home on the sofa or in my bed watching this, so I want you to know that we haven't forgotten our online worshippers today. When I'm um, at home watching um, London Live, I do miss it, so it's really good to be here today. I can't say how much I've enjoyed the worship. Thank you, Karen. Um, today... I want to talk to you about food, okay? Because we've just come through the holiday period, and I don't know about you, but my holiday period included a lot of eating. Am I the only one who ate a lot, like, from December? I was actually, I was actually on holiday at the very end of November. I went to Ghana with, to celebrate my friend's 50th, so my feasting kind of started there, kind of the end of November, and it carried on until New Year's Day. And today is the 29th of January, and I've got a resolution that says that I am going to make up for all of that feasting over the holidays. But I'm just gonna say that January was kind of just a, um, like a trial run. I'm gonna start in earnest on, on the 1st of, of February. I'm gonna like, cut out all the, I'm gonna, we will have finished all of the chocolate and all of the carbs and all of the junk in the house. And I didn't put any on the shopping list, so we're going to be healthy. But I do like a feast. Does anybody else like a feast? All right, I want you to tell me what some of the foods are that you like when you have a feast. And I know we've got people from all over the world here today. So what are some of the foods that you like to eat in a feast? tofu. Tofu. I'm a tofu fan. Tofu, I'm with you, Anita. Macaroni cheese has to be there. Both salad. You have to tell us what's in that. Oh, some potatoes with vegetables, mayonnaise. Oh, is that the same one they have like in Russia? And yeah, 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 yeah. That is a nice salad. That is a good salad. I heard one over here. Salmon. salmon. All right. So you like a bit of salmon. Can you cook the salmon? Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that can go. So we've got a bit of a feast. Any more? Roti. Yeah. Jellof rice. You guys are just making my mouth water with all these amazing dishes. Can we take one more from the back? One more dish. Oxtail! I hear a South African man speaking. (laughs) Oxtail. Yeah, that would be be definitely on my husband's list. That's what when I stopped cooking red meat, he used to look forward to my mum delivering pots of oxtail to him. Um so feasts, yeah, they just you guys are just making me smile. But I do remember, although I feasted a lot during this holiday season. I remember some of the best feasting ever, ever, ever in my entire life was in 1988. The year was 1988. Don't laugh. (laughs) The year was 1988. And I remember it because most of our holidays until then had been um, the Isle of Wight. We used to go to Brighton a lot. We used to go to South End. South End used to be the Lick um, we used to go, I, I grew up in, in, in the Adventist church. So we used to go to camp meeting and down those days we used to go to a place called Dorset. So that was our holiday as well. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was, we stay in these caravans and we, you know, we really thought it was great because we couldn't really afford to go away a lot. So, um, I, I'm not allowed to talk about my kids, but I will say that they kind of take holidays for granted because they're, if I think about the amount of travel that they have done since they were little. By the time I was 16, I had only been to Zimbabwe with my family and to France with my school, and that was it. And, of course, all these you know places in England. But in 1988, the reason it was such a good year is because my mum and dad had raised enough money to take all... At that point, I only had... Um, I didn't have my youngest sibling yet. She didn't come for another few years. But to take the four of children and them, so the six of us at that point, to Zimbabwe for our first holiday after a really, really long time of not being there. And so it was a big thing. It was like a family reunion. And we were there for maybe two to three weeks that summer. But I remember every single day, we must have eaten about five times a day. Because the way that it would happen is you go to one family member's house for breakfast, and they would cook a big breakfast. I'm talking like, you know, eggs, beans, boulevard sausage, toast. Sometimes they'd actually cook hard food as well. Um, bre- you know, loads and loads of bread and cakes and tea. And oh, it was amazing. And, and fruits, lots of fresh fruits, right? And this was what you'd have for breakfast at one relative's house. Then around 11, you'd go for like tea at someone's house. There'd be more tea and cake and biscuits. And we have these fresh cream donuts, and we'd have that at someone's house. And and more bread and jam. They had this, Zimbabweans used to have this thing with bread and jam. I don't know what it was, but they loved bread and jam with their tea. So you'd do that, and then you'd go to lunch at someone else's house, and you'd have, like, proper food again, and then you'd go for afternoon tea at someone's house, and then you'd have supper somewhere else. And so that holiday, all I know is that my belly was full, but my older brother who has a bottomless belly. His belly never quite got full and he was always ready to eat more, but my belly was definitely full. That was a feast. That feast lasted for about three weeks and I have never forgotten it. In the book of um, Psalms, the 23rd Psalm, David talks about a feast. So he talks about a feast and he says that God prepares a feast for me, he says, in the presence of my enemies, you, you honor me by anointing my head with oil, and my cup overflows with blessings. He annoyed, he, he, the bit about anointing he said is, well, I get it, but that feasting in front of your enemies thing, I don't quite get it. So let's kind of get a bit of background to why David is talking about feasting in front of his enemies. David became king of Egypt uh, not of Egypt, sorry, of Israel. <laughs> David, I'm thinking, now I'm thinking of Joseph for some reason. Um, David became king of Israel, but before he was king of Israel, he was what? What was his job? Before he was the king and before he was the bodyguard of the, of the king, what was his job? He was a shepherd, right? So he's a sh- he's, he was a shepherd, but at the point of writing this psalm around 1000 BC, he is now king. We're not sure if he wrote this psalm when he was king of the entire kingdom, but he was definitely king of Judah, all right? And he is drawing on his experiences in this psalm as a shepherd boy, but he's also drawing on his experiences as a king. And he talks about God, and I love the way he starts the psalm, because in English, we use the word um, at the beginning of the psalm, we say, the Lord is my Shepherd, you know, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. And we learn this probably when you're a kid, if you, if you grow up in a church setting, this is one of the first Psalms that you learn The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And, and it's great. But the word that David uses to describe God isn't shepherd like um, this, this guy with, who stands there with a stick, with a, with a, with a, with a, a rod and a staff just watching me. He's actually talking, in the original Hebrew, the word that he uses for shepherd is a combination of two words. One of the first word is, it talks about companionship and love. It's roer, right? It's companionship and love. It, 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 it's an intimate relationship, right? It's a, there, there are other words like... Um, the way that the, the words that are used for neighbor, like loving your neighbor as yourself. And, when, and in some verses about friendship, it uses a similar word, right? The similar root. And it's roe. And I'm not very good at, at Hebrew. So forgive my pronunciation if anybody is a Hebrew scholar here. But roe. And so he's talking about a God that loves him. And then he says a God who loves his sheep. So the son is part of the word is, is, is sheep. So he's a friend or a loved one, a beloved one of the sheep a beloved friend of the sheep. And that's what he's saying God is. So God is the lover of the flock. And so he starts the psalm by making it really clear who God is to him. God is the lover of the flock. God is his lover because he is a sheep. David is a sheep and he sees God as his shepherd. And he tells us a little bit about the journey that God takes him on. He takes him through pastures green. He takes him through valleys where there's death. And it's the same God. But just then he said that God is his shepherd and he loves him. So why is he taking him through this stuff? And I think that if we're honest, God has taken us through some stuff or allowed us to go through some stuff. Some of the stuff we took ourselves through, if we're honest. And um, and we and we wonder like, does God really love me? Like, how can God really love me? And I'm going through this. But David went through some things, right? He didn't ask to be king. He was minding his own business. His brothers all thought they were better than him when he what did become king, and they weren't very nice to him. And then he's still just trying to be a good boy. He's been told that he's king. He's been anointed as king, but yet he's still a shepherd. And then. To make matters worse, he goes to serve the king that he's going to take over from. And he doesn't go, go to serve him with a bad spirit. He goes to serve him with humility and will do anything for the king. And the king turns on him and accuses him of trying to take his kingdom. When David, all David's trying to do is make the king look good. And then David spends ages hiding away, running, living in caves, being pursued. He has chances to kill the king if you read the book of 1 Samuel Um, from around um, chapter 17. And then in chapter 24, you see the king's been trying to kill him. Like one day the king gets so mad. David is sitting there minding his own business. The king gets a spear, throws it. Wow, just misses David. But the Lord is his shepherd. I wonder how many of us feel like we've got javelins being thrown at us or spears being thrown at us. Do we really feel like the Lord is our shepherd in those moments? And he goes through all of this. And then He gets a chance to get his revenge in chapter 24 of the book of 1 Samuel. And he gets a chance to get his revenge on this king who's been really horrible to him. And he doesn't do it. And then the king says, oh, David, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I won't won't bother you again. And guess what? He bothers him again. And then things get so bad that he has to go and live in another country. And there he's living in a way that he shouldn't be because didn't God make him king? And isn't God his shepherd? And David is now king proper king in a kingdom. And he's looking back and he's writing this psalm and he's thinking about his life. And he's saying, do you know what? On this journey where God has been taking me from the place of winter grazing, because that's what shepherds do. They take their sheep from the winter grazing land to the summer grazing land, further up in the mountains or in the hill country. David recognizes that in spite of everything he's been on that journey, God has been his king. In fact, God has been his loving protector. God has been his guide. I've got God has been his provider, his comforter, his restorer, his strength, his victory. And most of all, at the end of verse 4, he's been his peace. So when we get to verse 5 of Psalm 23, and we've got this God that's done so much to David, I can't get my head around the fact that when, they, when he gets from the place of winter grazing down in the valley, and he gets up to the place of summer grazing, which is supposed to be the best part of the, of the journey, why would God let his enemies be there while he's eating? Part of the, the, the thing about my Zim trip back in 1988, part of the reason that we had to eat so much, it was a cultural thing, okay? We ate because lots of family reunions. It was a cultural thing because in... in um, Zimbabwean culture, a lot of Southern African cultures, and I know Karen can, um, can, can relate to this, the other Karen. Um, yeah, and you can too. When you go to um, a, a, a somebody's home, if they offer you something, it's an intimate thing. You know, in England, like you go to someone's house, they might offer you a cup of tea, they might not. You know, <laughs> you, you know but, but when you go to the house of a Zimbabwean person, if you know a Zimbabwean person, they haven't done this for you, take note, they're not very nice, Okay. A Zimbabwean person is supposed to offer you food or drink. If they don't have food in the house, they're supposed to offer you food or drink. If they don't have food or drink, they offer you a fruit, they offer you a biscuit, they offer you. I've been to houses where they've even offered me food from their own plate because I went and they weren't expecting me, right? and, and, And I, as the guest, have to, have to, have to, have to accept what they've offered me. Because if I don't accept what they've, I don't eat from anybody's plate. Don't worry, I'm not that kind of person. But no, no, I'm scorn stops me, right? So we're good. But the point is, the reason I wouldn't, the, my reason for not eating from them is not about hygiene. Okay, so you don't, you 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 don't not eat from people because of, because of hygiene. That's not the main reason. Let me give you, an, let me let me kind of break, go a little bit to the side with this. We went eating at certain relatives. I said we ate five times a day, so we ate at a lot of places. Sometimes we went, you know, went back to, to visit somebody else again. But there were some places where we went where my parents would tell me, we are not eating here. We don't eat here. I've had situations where I've gone to family gatherings, and they've said to me, eat now, because we don't eat here. And it's not a hygiene thing. It's not because the people have like zero rating on their hygiene certificate. They didn't fail that. It's because in our culture, if you feel that somebody doesn't have good intentions for you, you do not eat for them because food is such an intimate thing. And um, my husband has has this saying, he says, um, oh, did they give you some nebele seasoning? And debele seasoning basically means poison. Because for some reason, my people like to kill with poison. So if somebody has ill intentions for you, they would put it in the food, right? That's how they would show their ill intention. They'd smile and they'd bring you a plate, but it would have poison in it, right? Traditionally. And therefore, or if you like a guy or a girl and you want to get with them and they don't want you, there's a thing, there's something you can put in their plate, it's called zwanamina. And basically it means um, it's like a love potion. So when you don't trust somebody, you don't eat from them. So in those situations where my parents said, we're not eating, what they were saying is, we don't trust these people. So the flip side of us having to have something everywhere you go, so Karen, in that situation where you do want to eat the food, you could just say, oh, I'll just have a glass of water. Because at least then they know that you're saying, I trust you. I am intimate with you. And so coming from that background, every time I read this psalm, I kind of feel a bit of discombobulation when I get to verse 5. Because in my culture, <laughs> from my upbringing, it doesn't make sense for you to eat with your enemies. You wouldn't even eat near your enemies. So why is God telling, preparing a meal for David in front of his enemies? And wh- who even are his enemies? So as a shepherd boy, David is looking after his sheep and he recognizes three kinds of enemies. Now, I did a bit of research I spoke to, I went to Google University, and I also read a book by a guy called, I think his name is Philip Keller, and he's got a book called The 23rd Psalm, A Shepherd's View of the Psalm, or something like that. Um, And in this book, he talks about um, the shepherd who prepares the way for the sheep, for them to graze in 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 the summer grazing land up in the mountains, or in the hill country. And so whether we're talking about um, pr- God preparing a physical table for us as humans, or whether we're talking about preparing a table for the sheep, there is some preparation that is involved, right? There are three types of enemies. How many types of enemies does, do, do shepherds have to deal with? Three. Okay, and I'm going to take you through those enemies really quickly. The first enemy is plants. Plants. Right, because there are certain plants that are poisonous to sheep. So if sheep eat, so these plants are really cute, and if you put them on your salad, nothing would happen. But if a sheep eats them, the sheep will just stop breathing and die. They're really toxic to sheep, and so some of these plants, pretty little plants, um, they grow on the way up the hill to the hill country and in the hill country. So before. He takes his sheep up. What the shepherd will do is he'll go and do like a recce. So he'll go and he will literally spend some time taking out all of those plants that look pretty, that look harmless, but are dangerous to the sheep. And sometimes my shepherd takes people out of my life who look really nice, but they're dangerous to me. They might not be dangerous to you, Angela, but they're dangerous to me. Sometimes he takes jobs out of my life that I'm thinking, why can't I have that job? Do you know why I can't have that job, Greg? It's because you could do that job and be quite fine, but it's not good for me. Sometimes God takes other things out of our lives and and you fill in the blank in your own life. But those things that God takes out out of our lives, it's because he's a good shepherd. And he's literally preparing the table for you and me as his sheep, because he knows what's dangerous for us. So the first danger was what? Plants, right? The second danger are the elements. There are going to be some storms as they go up. There are going to be, depending on where in the world you live, there's going to be, you're going to have your own kind of disaster. It could be hail, it could be hurricanes, it could be whatever you call it. So the other thing that the shepherd has to do when he goes up and he's getting rid of that, those poisonous plants is that he has to spend a bit of time looking for a safe place. Looking for a safe place, Joel, because he knows that when the wind blows Bell, she'll be fine. But when the wind blows you, it might take you right off the mountain. And so he has to have a safe place for you. And I'm thinking about the safe places that God gives us, the people that love us unconditionally. London Live Church, safe place, Right. Those people that can, we can go to when, we, when, we're in a, when we're in a crisis and they will hold the stuff that we, that, that, that we give them because God has sent them into our lives. They're the safe places that God has prepared for us ahead of the storm. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. So what's the second place? What's the second danger? The elements. Right. So we, we, we have an exa- one more example of that element thing is um, when Moses was was um leading the children of Israel out of Egypt he had an experience with God and he really really wanted to see God he really really wanted to see God but God said you know what Moses if you see me you're gonna die because I'm too holy for you I'm too um, I'm too strong for you I'm too awesome for you so I'm gonna hide you in a rock I'm gonna hide you in the cleft of a rock I'm gonna hide you in the side of the mountain so that my glory can pass And you'll see a part of me. And I wonder, when we have those storms in our lives, if we can remember that moment of um, Moses seeing the glory of God. And just looking and just trying to say, God, look, I just need to see you. Because when God went by Moses, it would have felt like a storm. But God, like, I'm hiding you in this safe place. Because I want you to see me, but I can't show you all of me because you're not ready to see all of me yet. But just see a bit of me. Because he's a good shepherd. There's a third danger, and that is wild animals. And what these wild animals are, you've got jackals, you've got wolves, you've got, um, we, well, David himself talks about killing a lion and a bear. And I'm like, oh, I don't think I could be a shepherd. It's too stressful, too, too stressful, too many. And the thing about it, is some of these wild animals, they, they attack differently. Some of the wild animals are not intelligent. They'll just come, they'll go, they'll scatter the flock, they'll grab and they'll just get what they can, they'll, they'll try their luck, they'll hedge their bets. Some of the others, though, are smart. They will watch the flock for a while from a distance. And there are those enemies that watch us a while from a distance. We don't even know that they're there. A good shepherd might notice tracks or, you know, scent or, or get sense. but even sometimes a good shepherd might not see it, right? But thankfully, our shepherd sees everything. And what they will do then is that they will be watching the flock and they'll say, hmm, now that sheep looks a little bit weak. Okay, and they'll track that sheep for a few days. They'll see that that sheep has some bad habits. That sheep hangs around with some people that are probably not the best influence. And so if I come for that sheep while it's in that mindset, I can get that sheep and that's what they do. They attack the flock. So what's the third element? The third danger? Wild animals, right? So you've got your poisonous plants, you've got the elements, and you've got wild animals. And they are the three enemies that a shepherd is constantly trying to prepare for as he takes his sheep from the winter grazing to the summer grazing. But then as a king, David now has a fourth enemy to deal with, and that's people. Jonathan McReynolds has a song where he talks about people. He says, God, save me from people. If if it wasn't for people, I'd be good. Please save me from people. But then he also notes at the end of the song, he says, help me when I'm one of those people. And that's the thing, right? Sheep get afraid. And when sheep are afraid, they just run and they kind of follow each other because that's what sheep do. And they run in all directions. And then they get, they're like a big ball of fur, with little, wool, sorry, with little tiny legs. And then they fall over and they fall flat on their backs. And then they can't get up because their legs are like that. And then more sheep come and trample on them because they're scared and they don't know what's going on. And they're running. And before you know it, you've got a pile up. You've got a load of wounded sheep. None of them meant it. They can't remember what they were afraid of. But you've got wounded sheep everywhere. In the people's sense, we're all blaming each other, right? It was his fault. It was her fault. But in reality, we're all sheep. We're all sheep. We're all lost. We're all helpless. And that's why we all need a shepherd. That's why I need a shepherd anyway. Sorry, I shouldn't speak for you. But you see, does that mention that there were, there were predators that were watching um, those sheep The apostle Peter, in one of his letters, talks about our real enemy roaring around. He says the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So what I'm thinking, folks at home, is that maybe that person who got on your nerves on the road this week or that person at work who pushed the wrong buttons or your neighbor or maybe, heaven forbid, someone in your own house, Just maybe, maybe they're not the enemy. Maybe they're just another sheep that's just as lost and as confused as you are. But I do think, though, that that the enemy, this roaring lion that, that, that Peter speaks of, is an enemy who does take advantage of people, using people, you know, attacking us directly, attacking us indirectly, and attacking us through situations. But David says that God prepares a table for us in front of our enemy. I get the feeling that the enemy, the real enemy that David's talking about, doesn't really want David to enjoy the feast. I think that's why. Peter talks about this enemy who's like a roaring lion seeking who may devour because he knows his time is short and he wants us to also um, not enjoy the feast. And so I just think, what are the things that stop me from enjoying the feast that God has prepared for me? And when I talk about the feast that God has prepared for me, I'm talking about like the fruit of the spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and, and all these things. What stops me from enjoying that when I think about what happens to my tummy sometimes, is if I've had a day when I've been snacking a lot, by the time dinner comes, I'm not really hungry. So, what I'm, I, I did the other day, I was going out for dinner and I knew I was going out for dinner. So, one of the things that re- I find really helps me to settle my stomach is I have a, a cup of hot water. And then I have that before the meal and then I'm good. So, we went, for, we went to meet some friends on Thursday night and we had Thai food. And I was like, you know what? I need, to, I need to have a starter and a main, and I need to enjoy it. So I, di- I didn't snack like in the day, and then I saved myself, and then I had some hot water, um, and I tucked in, and that was a feast. It was delicious. If anyone wants to know the restaurant, let me know. I'll, I'll tell you offline. I can't advertise for them because they haven't paid me to do that on screen, but yeah, I'll tell you about the restaurant later. It was, the food was amazing, and I had tofu. And the tofu was, the tofu was amazing. And I say that to say that the other thing that happened on my trip to Zim in 1988 is one of the things that got in the way of me enjoying the food sometimes was that in between, you know, some of my cousins, they'd get us these lemon biscuits and they were really nice. And if I had that between a meal, I really struggled to eat. And I think that sometimes God wants us to take some stuff out and make room for that love, that joy, that peace and all that good stuff that he has for us. And so where, like my cup of hot water that helps to make room for me to enjoy my food, I think God wants to give us a cup of something called forgiveness. And as we drink that cup of forgiveness, some of those negative feelings that I have for people start to come out of my system. So that person that annoyed me, and you know, sometimes it's a little, it's a little, it's a little bit of wind, right? It's like a bit of road rage, you know. I mentioned road rage a few times. I don't, Nobody starts to think I've really got road rage. Um, <laughs> but, but that fills my stomach and that fills my life. And, 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 I, and when God gives me the hot water, that comes out. And I forgive that silly driver that cut into me, in front of me as I was coming to London Live today. Uh, but then it, there might be some bigger things, right? So one cup of water might not be enough. You might need another cup of God's forgiveness because this one is a bit deeper. This was, a, this was someone that you love. This is somebody that's in your circle. And David knew about that, right? David was betrayed by people in his inner circle. And yet, when we drink that cup of forgiveness and we make space, we're saying to God, do you know what? Thank you. You've made this feast for me. And I really, really want to enjoy it with you. And I really want you to help me to take all the stuff out of the way that would stop me from enjoying the feast that you have for me. And so God serves us that dose of forgiveness. And he's still trying to serve us, but sometimes we don't realize that we're doing stuff that prevents us from enjoying that feast that he has for us. Because we turn and we see those other sheep at the table and we think, what's that sheep doing there? That sheep is the enemy, that sheep isn't the enemy. That sheep isn't the enemy. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians talks about, we're not fighting against other people. People are not the enemy, guys. And the Apostle Paul knew about people. He was, if you read the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he was one of the most hard done by people in the world. Another guy who was minding his own business, thinking he was doing something right for God. Turns around and God takes him in another direction. He gets shipwrecked several times. He gets beaten up several times. He gets imprisoned without trial, flogged again. Um, people turn on him, leave him, go home because they're uncomfortable on the journey. You know, people are plotting to kill him everywhere he goes. He's literally got haters following him from city to city, you know, um, getting, trying to get people to cancel him on, do you cancel people? Can you cancel on Twitter? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Cause I, yeah. Wherever I cancel whatever social media you're on, right? And yeah. So I'm not on social media, as you can tell. But you know what I mean. Get him to cancel him. And you know what he does? He stands up at the end of it all. He says, Do "You know what? People are not the enemy. We're fighting something spiritual." And we can't fight that spiritual thing on our own. And that's why we need our shepherd. If we could fight the spiritual thing on our own, David wouldn't have needed to write this psalm about a shepherd. Because he would have said, I am David and I take myself to pastures green. I don't need anything. I put myself beside still waters. I restore my own soul and I make my own cup run over. But David doesn't say that. He says, my shepherd does all of that. Because our shepherd has already won. Our shepherd right? We're told in the book of John chapter 10, I think it's verse 18. He says, nobody, he goes, I'm the good shepherd. Nobody takes my life for me. I give my life. I choose to give my life for my sheep. And that's the shepherd that we're dealing with. And that shepherd is so amazing and he loves us so much right? That he has said, it's not enough for you to take scraps of a bit of joy here and a bit of peace there and a bit of love there. You know, I want you to have a real feast. In fact, I am going to fully destroy the last enemies, death and the grave. And I have got a table that I'm preparing for you that is so amazing. that no eye has seen it. No ear has heard it. The thing that I have for you. But I need you. I need you to want it don't come with your belly full when you want to eat my feast. Don't come with your belly full when you want to to see the new thing that I'm preparing for you. Don't come worrying about the people around you, or the other sheep who are just as lost as you, when I want to give you a feast that will last forever. So yes, take the love, take the joy, take the peace that I have for you, but I'm preparing a place for you where you, it's indescribable when you read about it in the book of Revelation. And because this shepherd, this lover of the flock, laid down his life for you to do it, I'm just wondering. What am I, and I'm speaking to myself now, what am I willing to lay down in order to enjoy the feast with him? Do I even want it? More importantly, do I even want the feast? Do I even want to be part of it? Do I, want to, do I really, really want the feast that the shepherd has prepared for me? Because if I really do, this week, there's got to be something that changes in my life. And what's it going to be? So at the end of the Psalm, David says, I will dwell in that house of the Lord, the one that the real shepherd is preparing forever and ever. And I'm just pausing as I think about that because the reality of it is, this whole thing called life is just a journey from the place of winter grazing To the place of summer grazing the journey is great we meet people along the way we love people along the way we lose people along the way but ultimately there's a destination but the shepherd isn't going to drag you there there is no rope around the the neck of the sheep they follow him because they love him and they know that he loves them and i just pray that today you just have a think about how do you see the shepherd How do you see the shepherd? And more importantly, do you want his feast? It's not a great way to end a sermon. But hey, that's the ending God's given. Do you want the feast? This is the end of this broadcast. We hope you have been encouraged and inspired. For more information, please visit Mm LondonLiveChurch.com